Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. The financial advice industry is constantly changing. As I think about where we're right now, I think it's an industry that most needs to get younger. It needs to get more diverse. It needs to realize that what got us here is not going to get us there. So today, I'm so proud to be joined by my good friend, Kate Healy, because Kate is two things. She's truly an agent for change, and she is honest. And for a chat like today, I really relish that honesty. Kate spent the last 12 years at TD Ameritrade. Before that, she was at Merrill Lynch and MetLife. Today, she's the board chair for the Foundation for Financial Planning. And above all else, during my past decade in investment news, Kate is someone that's always been a great interview and a great friend. So Kate, welcome. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so, so Kate, just to level set for us a little bit, where do you think about where the financial advice industry is right now and where it needs to get to over the course of, say, the next five years? You know, when I look at financial advice, it's it's one of the reasons I love the industry, right? It's ever-evolving. Those of us that are in it are so in it, we forget that 75% of Americans don't work with a financial advisor. So I think one of the biggest changes that we have to make is the accessibility to financial advice to more people. The models that we've built it on are predicated on people with money using financial advisors. And so I think that what we're gonna start to see and we're starting to see it already is that evolution where we're making financial advice really advice-based and less investment-based and available to more people. Now that accessibility can be hard sometimes though, right? Because I mean, how do you get financial advice to more people and ultimately still for advisors, make this a really profitable business to uh, be running? Yeah, well, number one, we have to continue to talk about financial advice. We have a perception problem and we know that. We have to talk about what financial planning, what financial advice really is from the mouths of people that are really doing it. It's a holistic plan to take a look at your financial future. It's not just selling you a product. It's not Wolf of Wall Street. It's not hedge funds. It's not the things that you may be hearing in the news. There is a discipline to financial planning. So I think the more that we can do to create that awareness, that's definitely what we have to do. And then we have to look at our service offering, right? What kinds of different pricing models do we need to start to evolve into to create a more structured continuum of financial advice, if you will, right? Someone who's 20 does not have the same needs for financial advice as someone who's 40 or 50. And so how do we start to create that profitable model? And we're seeing advisors do it today, right? We're seeing, you know, even before the pandemic forced it, we saw the rise in virtual firms, advisors who started up businesses that were all virtual, they didn't have offices, and they met not face-to-face, they met virtually with their clients, and they charged them either by the hour or a subscription fee or for an individual financial plan. I think we're going to see more of that kind of growth. And then there's the opportunity to have what I'll call situational financial planning. You've come up to a life event, you're retiring from your job, you're changing jobs, you got married or divorced or had a child or adopted a child. What are the things that you need to look at? And maybe it's Let me pay my advisor $7,500 every three years to take a look at my current situation. Less about managing just the assets in it, but really managing your life, that holistic financial plan. I love that idea. We were talked to some advisors that have talked about that subscription model, the Netflix of financial advice. You know, we're comfortable spending 
a certain amount or spending money up front. But I think the next generation wants everything to be a little more transparent. They don't just want to hand over their money and you to take a percentage. I think they love that idea of transparency or subscription model that you mentioned. They do, and they're willing to pay for it. I think that was one of the biggest things for maybe boomer advisors to understand that there were advisors who were doing this and they're making six figures doing this, having people, that next generation is willing to pay for the advice. They're asking people, they love the transparency, they've lived their lives on social media. So they crowdsource a lot of decisions already. And so they do wanna talk to a financial advisor and it's different kind of decision-making. They might not be asking the advisor as much about their investments. They're gonna talk to them about Sure. How do they refinance their student loan debt if that's something that they should look at now? Maybe not now. Also, it's should they pursue an MBA? Will that be cost effective to their career? Where should they, before the pandemic, where it it mattered where you lived, should they take a job in a high cost area with a high cost of living or take a job that maybe paid less but allowed them to raise their family the way they wanted to? All these different kinds of decision making. Do they buy or lease a car? that is much more holistic about your life. It's not just, should I buy this stock or sell this stock short? What are those kinds of things? It's all about how do I live the life I wanna live in that life probably, especially we know for, for a lot of generations includes more mobility, more travel, less ownership of things. Maybe it's not about buying a car, but it's about having the money to go on vacations or to work six months of the year in Europe really that more holistic planning piece. And I think you hit it on the head there, which is holistic planning isn't just retirement planning either. And I think there's this notion sometimes in folks' heads that you work with a financial advisor to get ready for retirement, but really it's got to start much younger than that, right? Absolutely. Who wants to just be waiting and waiting? I mean, we're we're, if nothing, we are instant gratification, right? Don't tell me mm-hmm. to do something now that doesn't work for me for another 50 or 60 or 70 years. I want the benefit now. And so I want to see some of that benefit. And that may be, I take a gap year in the middle of my career and I go explore the world, I pull my kids out of school. Or it may be that I change careers three years down the road or 10 years down the road, or I continue my education. As our lifespans are expanding, if any of us think that What we learned when we were 22, 23 graduating from college is going to sustain us. We're crazy. So building up educational funds, learning how 529 plans work, not just for your kids and grandkids, but for yourself and really looking at what is your lifelong journey. We often joke that, you know, think of how much more money a 20 year old would have at 50 if they worked with a financial advisor then instead of waiting until they were 50 to say, okay, here's this bucket of money that I want to sustain me through retirement now help me do it. How about you start helping me when I'm 20 so I'm making the right decisions about investing long-term. We know that compounding of money part is one of the most important aspects to retirement planning. And then finally, honestly, who's retiring? In the world that we live in today, what is retirement? It's so different. We can work forever. We're working virtually. Advisors, I I kid around a lot about, we talk about the shortage of advisors, right? and that the average age of advisor used to be older than it is today. But it's the, the average age I think is so high is because advisors don't leave. Why would you retire from a job that you love, that you can continue to do? You can, you can decrease the amount of clients you work with and play golf three days a week, but you're still working. You're dragging up our, our average age, but you can still work in this. And so I think retirement 
is one of those things that we're all learning. We really need to look at differently. You said it there too, which is this industry has gotten older. It's an, it's an older workforce now that we're dealing with. How do we get younger? Because at the end of the day, at some point, whether you retire or not, your clients are going to need advice beyond you. So to take care of your clients, assuming that is the prime directive of these advisors, how do you make sure they're taken care of? And how do we get more good young advisors uh, on the front end of their careers to take us to the next generation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't know about you, but when I look at my doctors now, they have to be at least 20 years younger than me because I'm not changing them. I don't want to work with someone who's my age. I want to work with someone who is, to your point, going to be around. So I think that advisors, we are we are trending younger. We are getting younger. We're under the age of 50, the average age, finally. But we've got to continue that. And advisors have to look at the demographics of the country, which are younger, and start to really develop that talent. Now, the financial planning degree programs have done a great job of graduating really smart financial planning students, but there's just not enough of them. So they're only graduating a couple hundred a year. We're retiring, according to some reports, we're, requ- we're retiring 10,000 advisors a year. That's a big delta. Advisors have to look around. And one of the things that I think we need to also think about is we always focus on the advisor. As this profession grows, the the need for professional management grows within the company. And so we have a need for a lot of different roles. It's not just advisory. And I think that helps us in recruiting because when we recruit for the advisor role, there's a perception issue of it's all selling, it's all commission-based, and it turns people off. But there's a whole infrastructure to each firm. You need management, you need trading, you need operations, you need legal, compliance, marketing, all of that. So I think that there is a way to expand the talent pool that we start to look at. So look at the financial planning students, but also do internships with a marketing student. Take a look at people who have gone to school to become the helpers, the sociology majors, the teachers, the um, psychology majors. They want to help people, but they have no idea that financial planning exists. And if you can introduce that to them, that this opens up a whole new career opportunity for them. As you know, I always tell advisors to get involved with their local college whether it's their alma mater or the school that has financial planning program near them, or really any school. Because did any of us go to school for what we're doing now? Probably not. I was an economics and finance major and ran marketing for 30 years. And full disclosure, I tell everyone, I took marketing 101. That's it. But had a successful career in marketing. So I think we all need to just broaden our horizons and really look to develop people. But show that This is a fun industry. It's so dynamic. It's one of the reasons that I love it so much. I tell, especially young women all the time, if you never want to be bored in your life, this is the place to come, right? Who else is affected by what's going on with the world every day? Every day, there's something that happens on the news that can affect finance in some way. So it's it's a great career. We've got to get better at telling people about it. And we do need to get better because I think you mentioned that there's a perception problem. There's a perception problem that we're facing. And I was with an advisor last week who, who said uh, financial advisors are still viewed as used car salesmen by a lot of people. People don't see what you and I have seen through these years, which is a lot of incredible people. And there's a lot of incredibly different roles out there. We need to get better at marketing how great this profession is so that it's not Wolf of Wall Street, like you mentioned. It's not this perception of they're climbing in to sell products and work in a boiler room. How do we change that perception of this industry? 
getting onto those campuses and telling, hiring people as interns to show them how you work in your firm, let them sit in client meetings and really understand the benefit of what you're giving. But also it's taking that step back even further and getting into the high schools and getting into grade schools, whether it's the boys club or the Girl Scouts or the YMCA organization or, or junior achievement or some local opportunity for you to get in front of these students and talk about what it is that you do because unless their family works with a financial advisor, they have no idea. They're not, they've had no exposure to it, right? We don't have the television show that I dream of yet. We can talk about that later. The other piece to this is to influence the influencers, get into the high school guidance counselors and start to talk to them about this career and talk about what a great employment rate there is, right? It's one of the top five growing, has top five job growth rate, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is a place where you want to place students. It's a place where anyone who has any kind of competency in the financial literacy courses that are being taught in 20 states where it's required, or whether it's an economics or finance or sociology class, where you're seeing people, seeing students have this ability and this desire to help people. How do we start to push this job at that level so they're starting to seek it out at the college level? It's an industry that we've seen the brightest and best in. We've seen some of these great young advisors. And it's interesting because when I meet students, you know, whether it be at a conference or I, I, I do some work with Seton Hall and, and with some of their students there, it, it looks very diverse. But then when I'm working at a firm, sometimes it's not as diverse. Everyone's got a diversity committee and an inclusion committee. What do we need to do to make this next generation reflect America better? Well, hire them and develop them, right? And so to do that, we really, we have to look inside ourselves as advisory firms. As you know, I've been doing, talking about this for almost a decade and, and for years, they would say, yeah, yeah, Kate, we get it. But you know, it's not my firm. It's not going to affect my firm. Well, it is affecting your firm because your firm probably has half of their clients in distribution mode. We've seen that. Your firm is, is decreasing in size if you're not getting new clients. And getting new clients means they're going to look different. And you need to have this staff that is going to be able to relate to them. And so you've got to look at what are your hiring practices? What are your job descriptions look like? Are they automatically stopping people in their tracks thinking, oh, I don't want to work here? To your point, right, the industry is not nearly as diverse as it needs to be. And we know that and we're changing that. And if you're a firm that isn't diverse yet, you're kind of in a tough spot because you say, I want diversity, but I know someone's going to look at my website and see well, maybe it's four white guys. And how do I do that? And so it's not just what you look like, but what are the things that you're supporting? Are you supporting your local HBCU or MSI minority serving institution? Are you providing internships or scholarships to diverse students so that people can see that you are have a passion for this so that they're, they are encouraged by what you're doing and looking to do that. And then also when you're looking to hire people, especially if your firm isn't diverse, maybe you ask some people to help you in that hiring decision-making process or even just the interviews. Ultimately, you'd like to have a panel of people interviewing so that you're, you're eliminating any one person's unconscious bias to someone else. And if you don't have people who are diverse in your firm, you know, maybe you reach out to some of your network to help you kind of screen some of the applicants and also talk up on your behalf. If you belong to the FPA or NAPFA or IWI, those associations all have diversity 
committees. They all have next gen committees. They all have resources that you can go to and network with and talk to people who could maybe help you to develop more diversity within your firm. But you have to be intentional about it and you have to look out. There's a ton of information out there. Just even, you know, just go on Twitter and follow Fintwit and you'll you'll get, you know, a lot of how-to guides in order to make sure your hiring process is as fair as possible. Be intentional. That's uh, yeah. that's such a clear, important step here as we kind of move ahead here is be intentional with all these steps, whether it's getting younger, getting more diverse, you have to be intentional with every step here. Right. When you think about what's ahead, you're, I know you're doing some amazing work with the Foundation for Financial Planning. Tell us about some of the things you're up to there. It's been awesome. You know, I've been working with the foundation for about 10 years. I was vice chair the last two years and just stepped into my role as chair. Last year was the foundation's 25th anniversary, and we had a lot of great hoopla around that. And then the pandemic happened. And so we we very quickly pivoted. And instead, we created a, a COVID-19 resiliency fund. And we were able to give out emergency grants to, to eight different organizations, nonprofits, to help them either move into the virtual world or enhance their virtual offerings. And so we were able to help organizations like the American Nurses Foundation, Savvy Ladies, Bright Paths, the Bed-Stuy Restoration Corp, and, and a lot of the FPA chapters. So that's been great. We, we are, we're continuing on our work with Pro Bono for Cancer. Last year, we matched 435 families with CFP volunteers. And what's really important about that is we actually did some, we have helped fund some research with Dr. Greg Knight, who is a, a renowned blood cancer specialist, and he studied the financial toxicity of cancer and found that financial planning intervention resulted in improved survivorship and improved quality of life for patients who had serious blood cancers. So I think the work that the foundation is doing, they partner with Family Reach to really provide that is it's so important and so gratifying to see that it is working. And what's also awesome is we launched probonoplannermatch.org, which is a place for advisors to go and sign up to look for opportunities, virtual for now, in person when they can be, but they'll be both ways. And we've partnered with almost 30 nonprofits to help find those opportunities for people to help. So I think that there's a lot out there that the profession can do. We've come out and with our corporate partners talked about the fact that we believe that to become a profession, we really need to encourage advisors to spend at least 25 hours a year on pro bono. It happens in the legal profession. I think it's a great way for us to change that perception. This is advisors giving back, advisors doing things for good. I think it's important that we continue on that path. A lot on your plate, a lot of interesting <laughs> things going on. <laughs> What's ahead for Kate Healy? I still do some work with Invest in Others and the, the CFP board. So, you know, I am looking for my next opportunity. I love the volunteer work. I am, as you know, a student of many things, love this industry. I'm taking my time looking for that next opportunity. I'm taking advantage of the time that I have. I'm doing a little modified gap year, if you will, maybe, to just, you know, spend some time on me, do some classes, do some different kinds of things, but definitely keeping connected to the industry and, and just looking for that next opportunity. I told somebody last week, Kate Healy is the biggest free agent in this industry right now. Any firm would be super lucky to have them with her. It's, you know, it's like any sports free agent analogy I could use. I was, uh, I was singing your praises as, as I always do, Kate. You know what a well, huge I fan I am. Keep telling people. <laughs> well, 
Kate, my last question is always a question from my son, CJ. He's nine. I, I told him that you and I end up on the same flight sometimes coming back to the Newark mm-hmm. airport area. I tend to uh, give high fives to Kate uh, as we pass each other in the rows there or, or, or in an airport. Uh, so, so I said to CJ, uh, you know, I, I told him all this and he said, his question to you was, what would what do you do on an airplane to keep from getting bored? We've taken him to Florida a couple of times. We've taken him uh, mm-hmm. down to Universal and Disney and things like that. So he wants to know what he should do on an airplane. I, I told him that I watch a lot of bad movies, but he <laughs> wants to know what you do so you don't get bored on an airplane. CJ, that's a great question. And I actually have two different, two routines, if you will, depending on if the flight is under three hours or over three hours. If it's over three hours, the first 25 minutes is a nap. You know how that air pressure puts you out, wake up, and then I would actually work. And the laptop that I had, the battery lasted for two and a half hours. And I would work until the battery ran out. And then I would switch and watch bad movies. If it's a shorter flight, I wait to see what, you know, depending on the time of day, I may may use the meal service or have brought some food on there. And then I try to just read. Actually, no electronics. Maybe it's it's magazines. I was on a flight once where someone said to me, are you in the magazine industry? And I said, no, why? And he said, because you have like three different magazines. One was like fashion, one was home decor, and one was, I think, financial planning. And he was like, I can't figure out why you have such a disparate array of magazines out here. <laughs> Just to clear my mind while I'm in the air. That's the key. Clear your mind. Well, Kate, always a pleasure to talk to you. You give us a lot to think about for our next flight or, or whatever may come next. So thank Kate, thanks so much for taking some time today. Thanks so much, Matt. It was great to speak with you. you Since I can't be in the airport anymore. And <laughs> Hilly, thanks a lot. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Kate Healy is the board chair at Foundations for Financial Planning and is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.